0: My name is Adam Hanover and this is the Boxing Coaches Podcast. We take a look into the craft and the science of boxing coaching, asking the ultimate question, can we do it better? The podcast focuses on a learning approach to the sport, diving into vital areas such as practice design, skill acquisition, the application of sports science, as well as challenging our day-to-day practices with a critical coaching eye. So if you're involved in boxing in any shape or form, square yourself away for a few moments and let's talk boxing coaching. Now proudly a part of The Box Gathering, a new boxing development initiative in partnership with England Boxing. Visit us at www.theboxgathering.co.uk. Okay, so it is finally, it's the 50th episode of The Boxing Coaches Podcast. Um, So what I've decided to do for this milestone is to invite some of my favourite people in the world, some boxing coaches and uh, (coughs) MMA, whatever that is. Uh, coaching to, uh, to talk about who inspires them on their journey or who has inspired them on a journey and what they've kind of learned to date as coaches. I know what you're thinking, it's a really catchy title, that, and I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, but that's generally the subject. So um, we're just going to go around the campfire at the moment. Uh, if you can just uh, introduce yourselves to people who don't know. So, Ivan? I'm Ivan Cobb, um, colleague
1: with Adam here at the Box Gallery. Thanks for coming on, mate. Chris cool, Lodge?
2: Hi. Uh, good evening, Chris Lodge. I uh, coach uh, at McGwell's Gym in Brixton and also on the uh, talent pathway for England. Nice.
3: Mick? Hello, I'm Mick McGuire. Uh, I've got a club in Birmingham, Jewelry Quarter Boxing Club. I'm uh, one of the coaches there. And uh, John? Uh, coaches is Hartlepool Headland up in
4: Tees and we're uh, an assistant performing coach for England Boxing. And Scott?
5: Hi, uh, my name's Scott. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I run my own mixed martial arts gym, so a bit of an outlier today. And it's uh,
0: 2 o'clock there. At the moment in England, it's 8 o'clock and it's 2 o'clock there. we have just gone. And uh, finally, uh, Priya.
6: I'm Priya and I'm from All-Stars Boxing Gym in Paddington, London.
0: Beautiful. Thanks for coming on, guys. So, I'm going to start it off then just with uh, a bit of an aside first. So, uh, firstly, just to, to do with the box gathering. Um, a couple little things here that's that's um, been going on recently. So just want to thank everybody that has um, signed up free to the Box Gathering website. Um, it's, there's been hundreds of people so far, and obviously we want to make that thousands, people that are engaged in what we've been doing since the original lockdown in March, all the way through to where we are now in November, in mid-November, uh, in our second lockdown, unfortunately, in England, and uh, so many people are engaging in, in the content we have. Um, we, so on the, on the website, we've got dozens of different campfire videos, similar to what we're doing tonight, uh, where people can have a look at all the different subjects with people around the globe and coaches around the globe that have been talking about um, up-to-date subjects with boxing. Um, we've also got countless coaching resources and, and downloads in the Coaching Corner, which millions of people have been downloading already for free, which is brilliant. Um, another thing that's happened recently, we had a, a campfire with, uh, with former world title contender Paul Smith about autism, Um, and with all the proceeds of that, it's five pounds to download that. I've been going to The Break Charity, uh, a well-worthy charity there that helps um, sort of respite for people who look after uh, people with autism. So that's been great, and um, so please make sure you uh, have a look at that one, guys. And finally, before we get talking, um, Tuesday the 24th of November, we've got Anthony Million Dollar Crawler. coming on the live gathering at 7.30. Um, and that's just um, four pounds. And again, just a reminder that every, uh, for the four pounds, one pound of that goes to grassroots boxing. Ha! <sighs> Breathe. Let's start tackling the subject. Okay, so who inspires us on a journey? So my journey, I, I've spoken about this in a previous podcast. I think ages ago, it might be like podcast one, two, uh, two or three, something like that. Um, I spoke about lots of different people. And, and I'll start with my sort of ultimate hero, and unfortunately, it's not a boxing one, it's Bobby Robson. Um, and the reason why Bobby Robson was my hero, uh, and I was so happy to see the, the video came out, you know, shortly after he passed away, was that um, I was in Southampton once uh, playing football, and um, the football team, at the Southampton were playing, I think it was Newcastle that night, and Bobby Robson got out of the car and he got mobbed by loads of people. And um, as he got mobbed by loads of people, uh, I saw this young kid sort of like kind of fall to the floor, drop his pen and pad on the floor and not get trampled, but he was kind of like a bit distressed. And Bobby Robson just pushed all these people aside. Says, sorry, sorry, sorry. He pushed them aside, picked this boy up, sort of d- literally dusted him off like a, like a granddad would do. He dusted him off like that. Picked it up, signed it. he go, you're okay, lad. You're okay. And then signed it and spent a couple of minutes talking to him. And then started signing it when I saw it. And I just went, wow, that's class. That's That's like, that's who I want to be as a coach. And uh, so, since then, it was like one of those moments I thought coaching is a powerful thing. So, I thought it'd be a great subject to speak about. So, um, um, yeah, I'll leave it open to someone. So, who would like to start us off with someone who's been really influential or uh, inspiring in your your coaching journey, guys? And I knew it'd go quiet, so I knew it should have.
3: Post outstretch if you want. Mr. McGuire. It's, there's, there's quite a few along the way, so I suppose first and foremost, my own club coach, um, who's a chap called Norman Anderson, um, just because he was there for us when we were kids and he opened the club up and I was a pretty on average boxer, I wasn't even good enough to be average really, but nevertheless he still took the time to to put a bit of effort in and look after us, so that was... That was the beginning of it. Um, and then as I got further into the coaching, I started looking at people that were actually achieving um, success, if you like, in com- competitively. Um, and I used to go over a lot in the beginning to Bob Dylan over at Lions. Uh, way back. We'd go at least once a week, I'd take kids over pretending I was taking them sparring. And really I'd just listen, and watch and see what's going on. and nick little pieces and bring them back to the gym and try and, you know, change them about a little bit or use them exactly as they were. So that, that was a big help. He was a good source of advice when he wasn't ripping into me. So that was useful. And then when I started with coach education, I think that's when I really started to, um, explore and understand coaching properly, really even though I'd been coaching quite a few years by then. And I think the two that that really stand out for me were Brian Hinckley. So I don't know if you know, those of you who know Brian, he's just the most calm, um, you know, considerate fella you're ever likely to meet. He's, um, I've never, I've never heard him raise his voice. Brian, in all the years I've known him, he was very, very encouraging. Um, and then the other one for the coach education was Alan Keith because, Alan was constantly pushing me to do I'll just do this and can you help me with this? And and at the time I used to think, I can't do all this. This is, it's far too much demands on my time and it's more than I'm used to doing. But I look back at it now and I think that was a big change for me because it it pushed me on to want to attend regional squads and 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 understand other coaching and understand other boxes outside of my own little bubble. So yeah all of them and the last one is frank o'sullivan who is you know probably everybody has heard or knows of frank and frank doesn't say very much really um but what he does is every now and then he'll come over and he might give you a little nod of agreement or a little pat on the shoulder and the reinforcement of that as he especially as a very young coach coming up was was absolutely huge. So, some or all of them. Ivan taught me to sit in corridors till five o'clock in the morning over in Romania. That was useful, Ivan. Thanks for that. Um, so, yeah, it could go on forever, but there, there's some of them.
0: Yes, Mick. Go on. bit of context on that one, Ivan. What's that about?
1: Uh, oh, I don't know if I dare go into full content of how we sat there. <laughs> but we, we ended up sitting there in a bit of solid uh, guarding really and stopping people getting from one place to another and someone getting hurt or whatever. So, we, we sat on guard all night, made sure people stayed where they should stay. And, uh, yeah, good wag. but the night went quite quick. And, uh, yeah, it was a long night, but it was all right. But there was a day before the final, so it was important. And uh, our two boys got to sleep. They got a full night's sleep and they both come home with gold. So we did indeed. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes, uh, Fantastic. I think um, i would have to jump in there well, before we move away from Frank. I remember going to Crystal Palace as a real young coach and obviously I had plenty of people guide me to get to that stage by then. But I walked into the old bar at Crystal Palace and uh, I sort of got a nudge by a bloke called Dennis Jackson. He said, you'll be sitting with us tonight, son. And I went, oh, all right then, Dennis. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, and I, I sort of got... Sort of like the um, Midland Mafia, sort of like took me under their wing and dragged, dragged me into this dark corner in uh, the old bar in um, Crystal Palace. My first ever night there, and it was Dennis Jackson, Reg Still, and Franco Sullivan, and you know, three three really really good coaches of for me. I was just like just listening to them, and you know, they virtually told me they told me what the ground rules were at Sheffield, and you could go one way or um, at Crystal Palace, or you go their way and. Uh to my benefit, I think I went their way. And unfortunately, there's only Frank left now. And then Dennis and Reg went in very, as much as I knew, when they were gone. So that was such a shame. But three very, very um, top coaches from the Midlands. And uh,
3: I'm proud to have spent some time around them, that's for sure. Well, I I actually took my first coaching course in 1989 with... Um, Dennis and Reg were delivering the course. It was over at the old police station over in Walsall, and they used to do them over there. Ivan, yeah, I yeah. remember that. They were very hard taskmasters, weren't they? Those two.
1: Yeah, different concept, different concept. But uh, you know, they all had good success under them. You know, they were um, good coaches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. You know, and I, I, I can. I'll never forget one of the biggest lessons I learnt was. Um, uh, Frank made me a really good friend he Made made me feel really comfortable How are you buddy? And about two days later he phoned me up and said We're coming to Norwich in a couple of weeks He said uh, your lad you've got He'll go with my lad I've got And I go well, yeah go on then what's the difference well, There ain't no difference son It sounds as this as You know me I won't let you know Oh well did we get turned over And Frank go, Frank put his arm around me afterwards. he goes it's all learning Ivan All learning You know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, it do not
1: matter by a hundred. As, as much as Frank's a good ma a good man, he could turn you over on a matching table. Oh, he's just I learned yeah. that as a young kid, that's for sure.
4: <laughs> Stop saying, mate. Yeah, um there's 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 quite well, I was, I was gonna say there's quite a few of you know, you, you learn from everyone along the way. Um but four people that sort of I brought down that stand out to myself. Um like Mick and like probably most people, me my amateur coach um, was sort of the first person because I think because you, you've got that massive respect for your coach, or, or I'd like to think most people do. Um, he was sort of my first one I looked up doing everything he said was right. Um, you know, he'd done everything brilliant. He was the best coach in the world. Um, so, so my first sort of five years coaching. Everything that he done, I sort of try to base myself on that. And you know, you'd find your own way of doing things, but he was everything was had to be correct. All the fundamentals were right, and it was something that sort of stuck with me. And to be honest, now if we have a discussion, we coach very differently and have different opinions on a lot of things. But the sort of your core philosophies are still the same, but we have little bits of you know Mm. different ways around how we get there. Um, so so Tim, who was my amateur coach, he would be sort of my, my first inspiration and sort of the reason why I wanted to coach. Um, after that, the, the, I wouldn't say he inspired me, but someone who sort of has probably been one of the biggest, um, given the, the biggest impact in my coaching career, was a bloke called Alan Rappley. He, um, he swam, I'm sure, at the Barcelona Olympics um he was part of he works for UK coaching and he was doing some uh, development uh, work with me and at the time I was going through quite a uh, not a great time in my personal life and what was sort of happening is I was taking a lot of negativity into the gym um, and this is at the same time as I was sort of working with him and he gave me a coping mechanism to, to, to use to sort of combat that and in the period of something like t- two months when we started using this thing at my gym and the atmosphere in the gym completely changed, um, I'd made the gym quite a toxic place. So I would say he was probably, you know, he, he's probably been the biggest impact of my coaching career. Um, you know, helping me keep in check my emotions and, you know, not not sort of not let me emotions rule me me and type of thing so he, he, he was a he was a big part of you know and that wasn't even that long ago to be quite honest um but he's a he's a big part of my journey um and then the next two people and it's probably quite easy to say these two people um but i've been fortunate enough, a think, to work with two real you know good coaches good people um with ivan and mick driscoll um i met ivan and mick probably the same, roughly the same time I, i'd Come across Mick a little bit before Ivan, but not sort of work with them closely. Um, and met them at the same time, and two polar opposite people, I would say. And the the, the re- what I learned from both was was completely different. Um, Mick, for, for for those that know Mick, he's like a whirlwind, um, but his energy can absolutely set a room on fire. Um, his motivation of boxers, his, his um, energy that he puts into the change rooms, into the, the gym, is, is, is that that's inspiring. He's, as, as Ivan calls me, he does does his Napoleon speeches, um, and you know sometimes I think the first time I heard when we were at the, the GB Championships in Sheffield, and he was uh, we were in the bar and we took the the, the England squad uh, into the corner. And he started talking and you know saying, We can beat GB just because the GB doesn't. And he went on for about 15 minutes. And by the end of it, I thought, You know what? I might start boxing again. And it was literally that <laughs> inspiring. I let to put the gloves back on. Um, so, so he's been sort of an inspiration to me. Um, and then Ivan, much quite a character, um, totally different type of learning that I've done from Ivan sometimes I always say like Ivan just plays the devil's advocate constantly why Why did you do that, how did you do that, is that what you wanted to happen and I think what I've learned from Ivan is to constantly sort of I mean I've done reflection beforehand but in the way there's certain questions that Ivan will ask where it'll say why did you do that, what did you set out to do and there's a lot of time you can reflect and go "Ah, yeah well that went well but I've missed out a bit what was that what did I set out to achieve? So I could say at the end of the session, oh well, it was really good that session, but was it compared to what I felt to achieve and why I wasn't it different? So Ivan's been sort of like a mentor on the fact that he's helped me look at how a coach and why a coach and what changes I can make to become a better coach. So for me, that them four people all for different reasons have what, been what sort of moulded me as a coach and a person. Um, and inspired me along the journey.
0: Thanks for sharing that, mate. Appreciate it. Um, Priya?
6: Um, I think coaching's kind of like parenting, isn't it? You, you know, you kind of learn how to coach from your coach a lot of the time. You learn how to parent from how you were parented. So for me, it was definitely my own coach that really was... it. I'd say that the foundation of what I know about coaching definitely comes from my own coach and from being coached by by him you know and and he he's not he's not the loud coach in the gym you know he's the more quietly spoken person but he sees straight through people you know like people are very i don't know how to put it he's got this certain intuition that i always used to admire which also meant that i was also quite often wrong but he sees straight through people That you know, he could look at a kid who might not be the most talented kid in the gym, but he'd be able to see the talent in him and say, actually, he might not be the strongest, but he's got this, this and this. And even though you haven't seen it yet, he could see that that kid had that particular talent or that particular strength. you know, he was very adaptable, moved with the times, was very much, you know, scientific minded, was always looking for different training methods, various bits and pieces years and years ago. Um, probably even before I started competing, he was talking about meditation, hypnosis, you know, clear your mind, sleep well, that kind of thing, which actually probably about 10, 12 years ago wasn't necessarily as as commonly spoken about as what it is now. Um, So for me, he definitely inspired me to just always look for new ways, always research things, look into stuff. Don't think that, okay, well, you've got to a certain level. Now you know everything because you've been able to have a certain amount of success, whether it was as a boxer or a coach. Now you know everything. He's always like, you don't know everything. You'll never know everything. You have to keep developing whether you're a coach or a boxer. Um, And the other thing is he, he was also like, he was very encouraging of me. Like the fact, you know, I used to go, yeah, but I'm, I'm a girl in a man's world. Like that was always a a, a thing for me. You know, um, I'm a girl in a man's world. Like they know more than I do. And he'd be like, well, how do you know that? Like why, why is your pre, why is your perception that just because you've gone into a gym, there's four male coaches who are older than you might've been in the game longer. Why are you assuming that you're not as good as them? Or why are you assuming that you can't bring something different to the table? Like, stop, you know. So he was always the one giving me encouragement. You know, he's the one that told me, you need to start coaching. You've got a knack for it. And at the time, I probably didn't want to hear it because at the time I was, you know, I had competitive goals and I was like, no, 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 if I'm starting to coach, then it's going to take me away from competing. But he was always the person encouraging me um, to, to get into coaching, to join him on squads. You know, eventually I ended up working with with the London squad, you know, etc. And, um, but if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have the confidence to actually sit in things like this. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to walk into a London squad and just, you know, be given a group of boxes and go deal with them. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have that confidence to do it. But I learned from watching him. I learned from being coached by him. and I And I actually gained my confidence you know from him encouraging me and always telling me stop seeing your gender as as like it's working against you you know stop if you stop you know stop acting like it's working against you because then it will work against you um but yeah he was definitely very very encouraging in in that sense um you know there's so many people who inspire you don't they you know whether it's you know celebrities or films or whatever um but for me i always i don't know i'm always i'm always the one inspired by the underdog i'm always inspired by the person who really isn't expected to win that comes out and performs well you know win or lose Um, yeah you haven't
0: seen rocky (laughs) (laughs) i think the tagline is like his life what was it his life was a million to one that's the tagline for the film yet you haven't seen rocky Just going to pull you Wait, on that should
3: one. We, uh, should we hand over to Scott now? <laughs>
0: I think we should. Yeah, because, yeah. We, we can rip you later on that one. But cheers, Brad. But it's interesting you say about your coach, you know, that whole sort of you don't know what you don't know um, sort of mentality. You know, there's always stuff to learn. And when you are like that, when you have that mentality, there's, there's so much, when you know you don't know everything, then you become more confident because you, can, you 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 open the door to learn more and more all the time. But I think a lot of coaches are very much shut down, and you know they're not vulnerable and they're not curious, and they think I know everything there is to know about it. And the moment the moment also, you is a good time. Yeah,
6: and I think also with like personalities wise, you you either gel with somebody or you don't. And for me, you know, the one thing that I kind of perhaps have in common with him and and some of the other people that I'm, I'm actually inspired by and learn a lot from is that I am very comfortable being the least knowledgeable person in the room because to me like I like to learn from other people do you know what I mean like I'm, I'm quite happy being the least experienced person in the room because that way I can you know look at other other people more experienced people and actually learn from them you know I, I'm, I'm actually I don't want to be the most experienced coach in the gym because I want to learn and, yeah. and actually. You know and, and and even in saying that i'm 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 probably wrong to say that as well on some level, because I don't think that you can only learn from people who are more experienced than you. I think you can learn from you know people who are le- less experienced than you, less qualified than you, etc. because people just bring different things to the table, and he's the one that opened my mind up to the fact that you might not have been in the game thirty odd years, but actually you bring a different angle to the game. You bring your personality to the game. You bring your personality to coaching. And actually, you know, that is valuable. And that, to me, was a really, really big thing.
1: Adam, before you go go to Scott, I'll just go back to the Rocky bit. I believe believe Priya has actually sort of nearly got a date with the real Rocky. Do you remember when we had Chuck Webner on, who was... He 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 virtually like you know it was a date coming up I think so he has met the real Rocky. <laughs> he,
6: he, he said I looked that was probably the highlight of my life. He said that I looked nineteen and I'm only thirty nine on Saturday. But I would say he did he was three weeks away from having a cataract operation at the, well, that's,
5: <laughs> yeah.
6: That's a true story. So you know. Um, but anyway, I think my 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 not watching Rocky needs to be forgiven. I've
0: seen it's great. done, you. It's done, you, To be fair, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Scott, any of the any of these stories uh, sounding familiar? Uh,
5: well, you know, it sounds familiar. Not familiar to my story though. Um, I, I started in the sport pretty late when I moved to the US. Very short amateur career, and I and I was very fond of my coaches. I think most people are fond of their coaches. I was kinda use the it's always like everyone 's got the best mum in the world, right, so it 's kind of easy to be a favorite as a coach um I, now the way my, my coach was very successful I had a bunch of world champions in the sport he was a world champion kickboxer himself. Uh, I got fond memories of him, but there was a rift at the club and I left um after a short amateur career because i was I was older and um I went into coaching, and I had absolutely no business coaching. I spoke to you about this before Adam um so all these insecurities and um, you know that, that sense of being an imposter, I think it really helped. I really started. I really had no business starting, and it really drove me to uh, self-improve and, uh, and and really try and compensate for my lack of understanding. And I think um, had I stayed with my own club, stayed on my same coaches, I would have probably fallen in that trap and. Uh, coaching like my coaches coached how they were coached and that you know that infinite regression back through the time so I've had to figure it out myself I spent as my 10th year coaching I spent at least six or seven of them just you know uh in the wilderness not knowing what I was doing and you spoke about um you know, inspirations or, or something that someone inspired and changed. I went back to school to do my degree um, in coaching and athletic development, and I came up just across a random video. We spoke about that too, Adam, uh, from a basketball coach, uh, Trevor Reagan. And uh, this was just a rabbit hole I fell down. And since then, I've, I've really um, been quite a contrarian in, in, in my area of coaching and in the city, and I'm really drawn towards the kind of academic side of it all. Um, but if I can, if I can sum it up, the, the, the coaching was all about showing what I knew before and I really didn't know much. And now that my whole perspective's changed and I, it's more about student centric and just creating the right environment, it's really opened up a, a wonderful world for me. And, uh, I, I couldn't be happier in my role as a coach and, I'm still nowhere near where I want to get to. Um, But if I had to say, do I get a coaching style from anyone? I really don't. Um, What's been nice about what you're doing, Adam, about being involved occasionally in this is that there's a bunch of other like-minded, progressive coaches that are always asking why, always working on self-improvement. And it's good to know that I'm not in my own little bubble. So... Absolutely. So That's really it. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just don't have, um, as I say, my <laughs> old coach. I have very fond memories, but it's it's a complete 180 from how, how I see coaching now and what, what he's doing. So,
0: Well, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, you, you said, you you know, you, you rate him as a person, et cetera, and all that, but you could, by your experience with him, you could see where the potential holes were uh, in terms of how you actually, you could be as a coach yourself, you know, things that, that are indoctrinated in, in terms of tradition, um and you know it's perhaps highlighted areas think well you know can we do it better you know so it's it's kind of set you on a on a journey in a, in a positive way rather than a negative way still Does yeah and it's sense? hard
5: to say that it's hard to that. say there's holes because he's been tremendously successful um but uh, I, I keep going back to this just because it's the way it's always been done it might not be the best way and so I, i'm i'm glad to be involved in a community now that's really trying to um, continually ask, okay, well, we have, we have our, our orthodoxies and our traditions, but can it be done better? And it's an exciting place to be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you, and you bring
0: it to life really well in your podcast, you know, Primal MMA podcast. Um, it comes to life really, really well. Mate. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, You can about me ten, 10 or over
5: later, mate. No, I've just sent the invoice
0: <laughs>
2: yeah
5: there we go. And, and actually the, the the one thing i'll say being an mma coach i, I really I, and i know we share a lot of the same philosophy as adam and and i'm sure I, I don't know the rest of you at all but um you know tr- trying to get this authentic training experience uh this representative design with it so learn learn to box by boxing i, I really feel for you coaches as boxing because in mma we can at least get close to that uh, authentic level through our grappling or, or uh, wrestling or uh, kick, kicking below the head and whatnot, it, it's just, it's it's a really fine line you guys you guys uh, walk because, you know, with the, the head trauma and getting to that kind of authenticity within your sport, I don't know how you do it because I struggle to do it and I have so many other tools in my box. So good luck with that.
0: Well, I never managed to get that as a boxer, you know, I've a lot with my face and I was pretty good with that. Thanks,
2: the hooter. Um, to... <laughs> Chris. Okay. Uh, well, what's inspired me? I suppose this is going to sound like a pretty bland answer, but but bear with me a sec while I sort of fill in some details. Is generally, generally, I would say boxing itself and the people I've met in boxing, and that started uh, probably like lots of kids when you know you got a bit too much energy and perhaps that energy is not. Uh, not being used productively and you, there's just a sense that you might be, you might be heading towards something that you might not be, uh, you know, you might not be able to turn around. And somebody pointed me in the direction of Harway House, which is a boxing club in Chelmsford, and it was run by a fellow called Peter Davison. Now, if I try and frame Peter for you, he wouldn't understand the finer points of nutrition uh, strength and conditioning was, yeah, you need to get a bit stronger. So in the off-season, I want you to get your mum to cook you some steak and, you know, put some eggs in some milk. And, you know, if we needed to get fitter, it'd be go for a run. But there was no real guidance on uh, whether it should be speed play running, whether it should be steady state or anything. It just was run as a group around the football pitches over the back of Highway House. So sophisticated, it wasn't. Uh, cerebral, it probably wasn't in terms of what we understand about coaching today. But my memories of that club are unbelievable. It was just the best place for a kid to be. If you wanted to go down there and let rip and, and uh, within, within a safe environment, and you wanted to come out ringing with sweat, you'd been screamed at, you'd been shouted at, but it was just something about what he created. And I still speak to people, I'm 55 years old now. And there were guys that were older than me. They were seniors when I was in there. And I still see them every now and again in London and in Essex. And one of the first things we, we don't talk about what we've done. We always go back to Peter and, and the boxing club. And to sort of echo what people have already said, there's also that bit where somebody finally taps you on the shoulder and said, Peter wants to chat with you. Go over to Peter. And he said, look, I've, I've signed you up for a bout. I've got you booked in. You're carded. You've got a bout in two weeks. Down in Rayleigh. such and such. We're, we're going to get a car down there. No problem. And I don't, I remember being nervous about the fight, but I don't remember ever second-guessing Peter. I don't ever remember having a single doubt in my mind that he wouldn't get me through that. And I lost it, but I got through it, and he said I did well, and it was probably the nicest thing anybody had ever said to me. And you think to yourself, okay, he didn't have all the things we know now, but what he did have was an almost natural empathy for getting kids engaged in sport, pushing kids as hard as they cared to be pushed, and I, I remember, listen, you know, like everybody here, I was, I was, I was never going to make it to the top, even even if I had the talent. Somebody like Peter wouldn't know how to. I boxed, I boxed for Essex, so I boxed regionally a few times, but the next step and the step after that, Peter probably wouldn't know where to push you, even if you had that ability to follow that direction all the way to a national team uh, and beyond. And he probably didn't care. He was just doing his bit. Uh, as, a, as a boxing coach for many, many kids, not specializing on one or two, but it was just the greatest place to be. So park, park that for a minute. And then uh, I managed to uh, blag my way without any qualifications into a job in the city. And I was just really lucky because the city was expanding exponentially and American banks were coming in and buying uh, London companies out. Uh, and we were the first of the barrow boys. My, my uh, 55 years old, I was the first kind of uneducated barra boy to actually go and work in a, in a financial stock exchange type environment. And it was simply because they needed people. They needed bodies. It was as simple as that. And they needed young kids with a bit of nails who didn't mind standing on their feet all day. This is way before checks and money could be wired to people. So half of my day would be spent uh, they used to buy me a pair of those DM shoes. That was the one perk I had, and I used to spend all day running checks and bearer bonds around to different brokerage outfits and things like that. And then I got into the office, and a big boss who was a, an East End boy, and he was earning. I mean, everybody lived in fear with him from him because he would just it sack you three times a week. He was that kind of bloke, and and still, you know, expect you to be at work on Friday on time. And I was getting, cha- I was getting changed. <laughs> I was getting changed in the toilet and I've got my boxing kit. So I've got my boxing tracksuit on. I've got my boots in the bag and me and, and, and my wraps in the bag and my skipping rope and everything. And uh, he came into the loo and he saw me hanging my suit up. He said, oh, he said, you're, you're boxing. I said, yeah, I've got a to box tonight. And I was embarrassed about it. And he said, uh, oh, he said, great. He said, I, I did a bit of boxing when I was a kid. He said, come and see me in the morning. And anyway, I, I won the fight, but I got a bit of a bit of a black eye. I, I beat the kid previously, and I, I I probably relaxed a little bit too much and thought I'd beat him again. And uh, I, I remember Peter ripping me off a strip because I wasn't focused enough. But anyway, uh, I beat the kid on points. And I got in the next day, and I got a bit of a shiner, and, he, and the boss walked past me, and I was working in the back office bit. Now, cast your, cast your eyes about 50 yards across this big open place office, and there was a bunch of traders over there, these dealer boys. And they were the noisiest. They were the best dressed. They were always out. Excuse my language. They were always out on the piss. They were always this, that, and the other. They'd got the best cars. They were always having the best holidays. And we lived in fear for these, for these people. They just did something that I never understood. And I never thought I'd be capable of doing it. And uh, anyway, the boss walked past me. And he said, hey, come and speak to me. How did you get on last night? So I talked him through the fire, And he did no more than kick the door open. And he called one of these traders over and he said, Oi, make him a space next to you. He's now your assistant. And I thought, wow, I thought that's just, I've just been promoted <coughs> 20 steps. In my mind, I wasn't capable of doing it. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is just unbelievable. And anyway, these traders took me under their wing, and I was the kid that didn't know anything, and you know, probably, probably, probably way out of my depth, but gradually I started to pick it up. And it's at that point there if I'd realized how bad, how it was good what happened. Don't get me wrong. I I had had years of fantastic fun and we were always out and we were always doing crazy things and not getting a lot of sleep and coming back to work at six o'clock and starting again at seven. And it was a mad, mad existence. But if I'd known at that point that it was going to be the end of my boxing, I might have second guessed it because there was no way I could do what they were doing three nights a week and continue boxing. But I remember Peter being absolutely brilliant. He said to me, "Look, work's going to get in the way." He said, "I think you'll come back to boxing. I think you're, I think something in you," he said, "will come back to it." And I sort of forgot about it, and I didn't didn't even give it a second thought. And by the time you've missed training a few weeks, you don't want to go back because you're not fit, you're not focused. Uh, and then he called me for a fight, and I said, "Peter, I can't do it. I've got to go out on Thursday for work stuff." Again, I was out drinking, you know, twelve pints and all the rest of the stuff that was going on. Uh, and then I got to 38 and realized that I wasn't exactly enjoying what I was doing. I'd, I'd been drinking and doing all the rest of it for too long. So I went back to boxing and uh, took my first coaching badge and, and then went on and went on. And I remember at that point, somebody else that really inspired me was a bloke called Dave Sadler. He was the, he was the London regional coach at the time. And he took me from my level one and he took me from my level two. And I just remember thinking, here's the kind of bloke I want to be like. If I'm going to leave all that stuff, if I want to park all the, all the partying and all the rest of the stuff that's going on, and I want to get in the world of boxing, I don't want to just be a coach that, that kind of does a little bit. I want to be proud of myself the way I do it. I want to sort of apply myself. And I remember Dave Sadler just being organised. I remember him saying really clever things about boxing uh, and the way he got you through your exams and everything. And I guess the rest of it is is pretty much the same as everybody else's. Once, once you start to progress a little bit, and I did some London squads, uh, and then applied for the talent pathway, and that really is like turbocharging your your, your coaching, your, your outlook on coaching more than anything. You realise that it's not all about shouting and screaming. It is you've got to be well organised, you've got to be very cerebral, you've got to think about what you're saying. It's about the way you deliver your coaching as opposed to what you think you know and what you think you can shout loudly about. Uh, And I think that that was a massive turning point. So no real names to mention there, apart from everybody that I've kind of worked with on on that talent pathway. One of the first things that was said to me when I walked through the door at Sheffield was, park your ego outside. And I don't think I've ever heard a bit of advice. If you went in there thinking you might know a few things or thinking you're going to stick out, you just want to be the grey man. And like everybody says, I have stolen so much. You're up there and somebody says something, and I think, yeah, I'm having that. As soon as they finish saying it, I'm like a pickpocket. I think, yeah, that's mine. That's in my pocket. I've trousered that, and I'm going to change it because I know how that's going to work. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to blow smoke, but, uh, I, I've done it to you, Ivan, I've done it to you, uh, Mick, certainly with the, the idea of that competition I ran in the first lockdown was based on something that you had said, uh, and it grew and grew and grew. And all of a sudden I've got, uh, fif- 15 boxers in the club who are texting me going, Oh, when's the next one? When's the next one? And it was, you know, it was a roaring success. So yeah, I nicked it and I changed it a bit and you know, it worked for me. So, uh, yeah, just just the England talent pathway, the people I've met and, and boxing in general. So boxing helped me when I was young uh, and it helped me again when I was older because I think, you know, the life I was living probably wasn't going to last too long one way or another. Uh, so I owe boxing twice, if that makes any sense.
0: Thanks, mate. Inspiring. Really inspiring. Um, listening to everybody, you know, there's sort of similar themes in, in some ways going through it. I remember a few years ago reading a book called um, Power of Moments by a guys uh, two brothers called Dan and chip Heath, and they talk about kind of like how it, when you look back at things you only remember a lot of your your troughs and a lot of your peaks they're the things that really kind of like resonate in your mind um, you know and they also talk about how you can actually make those moments you, you know if you're a really um, intentive coach, you can actually make moments, you know, and, and design sort of practices and things like that where people will remember them. But when I look at some of the the coaches I've worked with, <clears throat> whether it be boxing, football, or just people in general, <clears throat> it's always those highs, and sometimes a couple of lows that I remember. You never remember the the stuff in the middle, do you? You never remember the sort of five out of ten stuff sessions. You remember the great spars or the really hard stuff where you weren't happy about something. So it's it's kind of interesting that everyone's gone to these sort of um. These peaks. So, if I could, I just want to mention a couple of people that I've I've worked with um, and and gained some stuff from as well. Um, You mentioned about Frank O'Sullivan. I've never met Frank, if I'm honest, um, just different circles, you know, um, but obviously I've heard of him. But one thing that that made me think about uh, when you mentioned about how Frank was is Kevin Smith. So, the the current Australian coach, um, very kind of um, implicit coach. When you give examples about someone who can just sort of walk around the room and just go, little nod or a little one word and a walk off and a little little just shake of the head or something that he do. It just meant he was very good at doing that from what I saw. And um, I think a lot of the great coaches um, do have that in their locker, that ability just to convey one thing with their body um, and then people react. So I remember Kevin, you know, we, we worked with Kevin on Dice or his aces it was called there. And I've um, had that experience there. Not to blow too much um, smoke up uh, Ivan's backside, uh, but obviously I've worked with Ivan uh, for how long now? Eight years, I've? Yeah, had that, yeah, probably. About eight probably. years, eight or nine? Yeah, nine, yeah. I've been doing... Feels like 10 now, didn't he, Ivan? <laughs> it, Ivan? Feels like 20, yeah. I've literally got a tally chart on my wall like a prison, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been working with um, Ivan. Um, I think a lot of people say to you, Ivan, that you're a very technical coach. Um, I've always kind of thought when people say you're a very technical coach, to me it doesn't actually—it's not a compliment in some ways. So I was thinking about this. I think it's not that that he's a technical coach, is that he understands the tech, understands uh, the skill part of that, the reason why you would have a certain technique for something, rather than he can teach you about a technique here's how you do A, B, C, and you can break it down and say it well. The understanding of why that technique's effective in context, i.e. moving into a skill, is where I think um, we've had a lot of conversations about I've and I think you're very good at, at, at putting that into context, into a story, into a metaphor. And, and that's just you know just one part that I've, I've always enjoyed with our conversations. Um, you know, need, There's no point in me talking about Mickey Driscoll again, uh, because I completely agree with what you say, Stubbsy. You know, kids run through walls for him. He just has that about him, that X factor, to make kids go from maybe being a 7 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10 or an 8 to a 10. Um, Steve Cranston. Um, love Steve. Everyone who knows Steve, you know, he's, he's a fantastic, warm guy. I'm looking at, I mean, you guys who listen to the podcast now can't see, but I'm looking at every single face here and everyone's sort of lit up a little bit. when um, We talk about Steve. Brilliant at relationships, kids love him, and he just—he just has that ability to build relationships with people. And and then he could say, right, what you need to do when you when you're boxing is you need to jump off a cliff. That's how you you win bouts, and they'll do it because they have that relationship. So, um, and another one, um, a really good friend of mine. Some of you might have heard him on the podcast, Seamus Kelly, um, who's now a is it a lieutenant colonel or a lieutenant colonel? I'm not good with my um my military ranks. Um, I find a lot of how I speak and coach now is kind of based on what he does. He's one of those people that when you speak, people listen to him, and he could just he could talk to you about what the contents of the, you know, of his of his breakfast sorry, boring like that. But everyone would listen to him, and I've tried I've almost like over the years tried to sort of emulate that in some ways. And you know, like like Chris said, you sort of steal steal things or mannerisms or, or knowledge. And I find myself talking a bit like him, and almost like oh, I'm sounding like Seamus at the moment. But that, that's you know that's a part of someone I've really respected and revered and tried to sort of incorporate it into what into what I do. Um, just a few other people as well. Now I spoke about my old football coach Bob Broome. We talk about those um, peaks. I always remember great stuff, jokes, funny moments that still in my, sticks in my head from when I was like six years old. But other stuff, other coaches, I can't even remember training. But I remember several things with him, just little things and how he made you feel. Um, Stu Gill down in the Southern Counties, great coach, loads of energy. Um, It can be a pain in the backside sometimes, but he's a great bloke. Um, He's he's produced champion after champion down in the Southern Counties. We don't have millions down in the Southern Counties, if I'm honest, but they they constantly turn them out. They're good professionals. So he's really um, good with the relationship side and a great coach as well. Um, And then we've got the Bell brothers, Matt and Nicky, full of energy down here. Done a lot of coach education. Matt Bell put me through my Level 1 and Level 2, learnt loads from him. Uh, especially on the technical and tactical side. Um, full of energy, those guys. And, you know, I, I see myself in those those guys sometime as well. Um, but then sort of moving on, If you, I think we need to look outside the sport sometimes. You know, I often look outside boxing for, for coaches to see what's great. And, you know, there's names like, you know, John Wooden. I love Jurgen Klopp. I'm not a Liverpool fan. I'm a gooner. You know, I'm sure people aren't going to listen to this anymore. But, um, yeah, I'm a gooner, but I love Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Bobby Robson, as I mentioned, you know people like Vince Lombardi, Brian Clough, you know, amazing, amazing people, you know, and, and how they handle people and, and how they they almost man manage, if that is a a, a right phrase uh, to go on to. Has anybody else kind of looked
5: outside of their sport? Don't you? Yeah, I look at out my outside of my sport all the time, and actually, a, a lot of the the valuable. Tidbits and um, ideas and changes of perspective come from uh, basketball, volleyball, golf. Um, and I, I, again, I assume we're all s- somewhat on the same philosophy, but um, I think I think good coaching and good coaching practice uh, transcends all kinds of sports and it can be applied to all kinds of sports. So um, I certainly take... Um, Take a lot of value from other other sports.
4: I've recently—I don't know if anyone on on it has watched this, um, or anyone who's going to be listening—the um, play the playbook on Netflix. Oh yeah, uh, love
0: it, love it. I, I thought good. it was
4: unbelievable. It's the first time I've really sort of listened to anyone talk outside of boxing. Um, and the first two episodes, uh, Doc Rivers, and then especially I thought Jill Ellis. I thought she was amazing. Um, I thought she you really, really good. And so I wrote some things down. the set then you know, I've looked back over them, and uh, I just think you can take so many little, you know, we, we say something about, um, you know, little diamonds or little gems type of thing. There's so many things to say that you you can bring into what we do. Really good. Yeah. Well, while we're on that
5: me. subject, um, guys, uh, I was Stuart Armstrong mentioned him, uh, dropped his name the other week uh, on the podcast. There, uh, Fred Shoemaker. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's actually a golf coach, and uh, I'm just going to – I can post it later on the link. Um, there's a, a podcast called Teacher Stories. Fred Shoemaker – not Shoemaker, a Shoemaker, S-H-O-E, like an uh, English spelling. And it's called Wisdom About Teaching and Learning in Life. It's just a beautiful podcast to listen to. His voice is dreamy. and Just the way he speaks and talks about coaching, it is really, really lovely uh, Listen. listen. Um, Nothing to do with combat sports or golf. I take, a lot of, uh, I take a lot of value away from these, these kind of discussions. So it's definitely worth a listen.
0: Yeah, Fred yeah Shoemaker. send that over, mate. Yeah, send that yep. over, mate, and we'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Fantastic. Oh, I'll, um,
1: second, I'll second that. I've listened to that. It's really good. i second that. It's really good. Um, for sec, Another sport, out of sport for me, would have to be, without a doubt, um, Wayne Smith, uh, New Zealand All Black. He... I, I had the pleasure of meeting him when he was at Northampton Saints, and uh, I went to a breakfast thing uh, at, at uh, um, in Kettering once, one of his early men breakfast day things, and yeah, he just sat there talking about coaching, and and I thought this is me, this is me, this is me, and couldn't help but go and speak to him afterwards, and you know, uh, Wayne Smith in rugby is like you know outstanding, you know. He, he's sort of like the brains and the, everything a bit behind the, the way that the culture of the All Blacks changed. Um, I think it's, um can't remember his name, there was a Hanson who got the credit, but um, uh, it was before Hanson, it wasn't Hanson. Whoever got the credit before that, but Smith was the backup man and Smith was the one I think that organised most of the, the culture change within the All Blacks when they hit that bad patch. So yeah, for me, he's, a, he's one of the best coaches I'd, I'd really stand out and look at. And took a lot of um, watch a lot of how he coaches and and how he interacts He's more interpersonal with people rather than actual skill. But yeah, he's a great coach.
2: You must uh, you must forgive me because I know uh, you, Ivan and uh, Adam have already spoken about this with me uh, on another campfire. But the book that you recommended uh, by Joe Ehrman was was a was a kind of pivotal moment for me after reading that. Uh, called Inside Out Coaching, and there are a couple of pages in that book that literally stop you in your tracks uh, if you if you if you're coaching uh, kids at sport. And it kind of recognises the the much bigger responsibility you have, rather than just looking to get uh, little Fred or little Sarah from from uh, a novice to a gold medal. Uh, it is a much much bigger responsibility in terms of community in terms of how you're preparing them for other things in life apart from just the sport that you are coaching and uh, That that book, uh, I mean, I, I would guess Ivan you recommended it and I read it I read it quite quickly the first time When we were going to do the campfire on it I went back and read probably three or four of the chapters that really stuck out for me but since then it's by the bed and I just kind of pick it up every now and again and You don't have to go very far in that book before you kind of you just feel really inspired by the way that that guy was coaching and, and that was all to do with American football huge amounts of pressure pressure in American football uh, massive burnout rates where kids are one minute the you know literally the the superstars and they're going to get selected in the draft and then all of a sudden they get a crucial uh, uh, ligament injury uh, and they go from hero to zero at a thousand miles an hour and it's how it's how he deals with the idea that sport is not always a perfect journey. It has lots of ups and downs. And, you know, you have to talk about having a growth mindset, understanding there are going to be obstacles that you've got to clear along the way, rather than just expecting to be good all the time because people are telling you you're good. And uh, some of the things, as I said on the campfire in that book, were were really uh, hard-hitting for anybody that coaches sport, in terms of recognising that, you know, you, you're dealing with, you're predominantly dealing with young people at an incredibly impressionable time in their life. And, and you, you kind of owe, you owe the sport a bit more than just getting them from A to B. Uh, you know, is what they it's is if it fails, if it goes wrong, what are you churning out? What, what is the leftover? What's the residual damage if little Johnny doesn't make it to a gold medal or doesn't even box? Imagine he's in the gym for two years. And, you know, you don't take, what does what he actually gain from the sport? What does he gain from you as a coach? Okay, he hasn't won you a gold medal, but do you care about the residual damage? Do you, do you care about the collateral damage of people that are, are, are passing through you, meeting you in your environment about the thing that you should know most about uh, and, and how they come out of the side? If they're winning gold medals and they get to GB, fantastic. But, but ultimately, that's quite easy because somebody else is going to pick them up and take care of them. You kind of do your bit, you launch them. Uh, And once they're off the launch pad, uh, you know, hopefully you get the accolade for it. But they're they're therefore in capable hands, and hopefully GB deal with what happened to them uh, from there on in. But there are loads of kids that you have a year with, year and a half, two years. They might box once or twice. Where do they go? What happens to them after that? Are they better for being in boxing, or are they worse because you? You know, I, I guess. I guess the other point that his home is. If somebody had got hold of me and said, look, you know, you've got this job in London, but at this point here, here's a decision you're going to make. I never knew that it was a conscious decision. It just dragged me away from boxing. And perhaps if my boxing coach had been a little bit more aware, he might have said, look, you know, you can do this, but just be aware of this is what that side of life looks like. You know, there, there's a big responsibility, I think, when we're, uh, when we're dealing with youngsters. And, and the book certainly hits home on a few of those points.
3: Can I first something in there, Adam? No, of course. I think I, I agree, Chris. I think yeah. there's there's so many hats that that coaches can wear. So there are really excellent competition coaches. Mick Driscoll is a great example. Mick is a real motivator, a real um, uh, kick starter. You know, he, he would drive you to where you need to go at a competition level. Um, and then there are other coaches that are very good at just building relationships and looking after um, everybody, and they're not yeah. too driven with competition. And then there are coaches that are able to pick those skills for that any given moment with the individual they're dealing with. Now, for me, that that's the real gift of coaching. It's, you know, uh, uh, let's be honest, I'd be pretty certain that we could teach more or less anybody off the street you know fresh to the sport we could probably teach them how to throw a jab correctly or how to coach throwing a jab correctly if we spent long enough doing it because you know there are only so many mechanisms that that make that happen so but the real skill of coaching is is exactly what i think what you're talking about is there are only one in a million that can be at the very top aren't they yeah. what about all the other kids and and, and young people that come through you um through your doors and actually they just by their pure numbers they're far more important really yeah aren't they, i think in my opinion so the real skill for real good coaches and we've talked about all these different inspirations and some of them are competitive coaches and some of them are really good at making relationships um steve cranston you mentioned is really good at just you know get, getting to know people and getting to know what the how they take Ivan's very good at making you reflect on yourself and look back. And he, uh, Ivan's when I first met Ivan, I felt like I was with the headmaster because he's constantly just, <laughs> just edging you towards yes. another little bit of questioning, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, Frank Sullivan's very much the same. You, you, you know, when Frank asks you a question, it's he, almost so like you can hear his. Oh my God, he can hear what's going on in my head. Yeah. And they've all got their own inspirational ways of doing this. So, for me, I just think the very, very, very best coaches may not have achieved competitively, actually. They might be just really good at looking after loads of people that need it along the way. And then yeah. the best competitive coaches are really good at achieving competition. And, and we've all got all these hats, I think. And yeah. that's yeah. a gift. That's the real yeah. gift, isn't it? I think. <laughs>
0: Just um just Scott kind of brings me to a phrase um um Ivan, you'll know this. And I think um Scott, you might have heard this as well, especially being out in America. Um John O'Sullivan from Changing the Game Project always kind of like finishes his podcast with uh, your influence is never neutral. Yeah. So, so every time every time I hear that, I go, I stop for two seconds, even though I've heard it a million times, but I still think your influence is never neutral. So you can, yeah. um, you, can, you can be you can be positive with someone or you can be negative, but it's never status quo. Yeah, yeah that, that's always an interesting thing. Just to sort of um, finish off, guys, uh, a little bit of fun, me. Really. I thought I, I'm a bit of a film buff, or little, probably, let's not call it buff nerd, shall we say. Um, and there's certain films that always inspire me. They don't have to be about boxing, um, about coaching. I wrote a few down, and some of them are a little bit cheesy. Uh, Remember the Titans? American football, Denzel Washington. Yeah, um, of course, there's always Coach Carter. Friday Night Lights as well, yeah. the series and the film. Any given Sunday, mainly for the, the Al Pacino chat at the end about um Life's game of Vinches. Bit it's a bit cliche, a bit wow, but um I love that part. The rest of the film I'm not so big on. Um we'll come to the rocky bit that we discussed beforehand in a second. Um sl- slightly off topic, the King's speech. I love that the kind of you know how he's how he's kind of got that speech impediment and how he how he's supported to get over um, um those problems supported by a friend and how they worked together to actually achieve what he did. Um, (laughs) Another cheesy one, Karate Kid, very similar thing, relationship, (laughs) the Aggie Daniels son, right? Love the new things as well with Cobra Kai, cheese, I know. Um, uh, Band of Brothers, massive, obviously, um, you know, World War II, 101st and all that, and their relationships, and uh, the final one is Scent of a Woman, Al Pacino and how their relationship as well. And when I sort of thought about this, I thought everything is about relationships with those. It's all about how people kind of work with each other to almost aspire to be great and to bring each other out. They couldn't do it without each other. And I think that's what coaching generally is. So it brings me to my Rocky one. Um, Now my favorite Rocky film is Rocky four, but my favorite part of Rocky is Rocky five, where, Mickey gives Rocky Marciano's cufflink over to Rocky when he, he's remembering. He walks into the gym, doesn't? He? He's a bit pissed up, um, and he has this kind of recall of him uh, passing it over. And I just remember thinking, that's kind of what I want. I want probably what I wanted as a boxer, but wanted to inspire as a as a uh, as a coach as well. So films. Hopefully, i have not taken too many off your list there. <laughs> I'm sure I've t- taken a few. What we got? One
3: about, the one about my brother, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a coaching thing, but it's very inspirational, the relationship they build, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And you admit me at hello. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <Like Beckham.
6: laughs>
0: Thank you. Standard. bend it like, it like Beckham. Bend it like Beckham. Go on.
6: Yeah, well, she's an Indian girl. I'm an Indian girl. Her mum didn't let her play football. My mum didn't have a clue I was boxing until I won my first ABA title. And, uh, you know, I was too scared to tell her. So I sent her and my dad an email saying, hey, just letting you know. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: I'm a national champion. I'm a national boxing champion.
6: Yeah, yeah. And um, I will
3: stay out late if I (laughs) want (laughs) to. Yeah.
6: yeah, definitely. I love that film so much. There's there's two films, actually, that I always end up crying when I watch them. Bend It Like Beckham is one of them. And um, Katie Taylor's documentary film. Every yeah, single time. Good. Every single time I end up crying watching those two films. It's the, very yeah. real, isn't it? it well, yeah, real. so that's many awesome people cry romantic films, sad endings. Not me. <laughs> I'm there <laughs> in <falling laughs> my eyes out. and me. <laughs> when um, <laughs> yeah. i like, can't play football anymore I was like oh, yeah. this is a heartbreak yeah, uh, mm, Scott's going to say, say
0: Trainspotting aren't you Scott
5: <laughs> Unmute <Yeah. laughs> No no it's Trainspotting Go on then what you got <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, 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 <clears throat> Excuse me I, I'm really not a film buff so I'm sorry I'm going to disappoint you the finisher
2: yeah i'll tell you if you want if you want uh if you want a curveball recommendation go on watch a film called free solo and you have touched on uh recently in one of your campfires people that suffer with autism or people that are somewhere along that spectrum watch watch that film it's about a guy who's possibly one of the best rock climbers, but he climbs uh, free. So he has no ropes, uh, no, no protective gear or anything else. And uh, he's, I don't know, he's just engaging because he's overcome almost everything in his life. And uh, he, does, he does things on the site, I think is it called Yosemite or wh- whatever they call it in, in the States. And it literally is like a skyscraper. It looks like it's just going straight up into the sky. And this fella climbs it with no ropes. And no, no protective gear, no safety net. Uh, even the guys that are filming him have to use, uh, have to use drones and things like that because they won't go up even, even with ropes on. And uh, you get to know him and you get to start to understand his personality because obviously he's on the spectrum. Uh, and it's, it's just a brilliant film. It, it's, uh, it'll have you on the edge of the sofa. You'll, you'll be, you'll, you'll be, it's a white
0: knuckle ride. It's unbelievable. Edge of the cliff, yeah.
2: Yeah, seriously.
0: Free sailor. Highly right, recommended. Well, how long does that mean? Been? I've been chatting for about an hour now. We could chat
1: for another hour easily. I got um, one. I got one little go st- on, one little story because Priya said that her mum never knew she boxed. Well, it was probably a bit the same in my household because um, my my mum obviously my father was a boxer or anything, and everything. Uh, and when my older brother, who's ten years older than me, was born, my mum insisted that none of us would box or he wouldn't box at least. And then my next brother come along and he was uh, obviously my father had promised. And then um, then there's me. And uh, I think it was a Bugner fight in about 1971 and I'm sitting on his lap listening to it on the radio type of thing. And all I kept saying is, I want to box, I want to box. And he, he wasn't going to let me box or nothing. But I learned to become a gardener. So I started helping him do a bit of gardening down the bottom. And as the as the runner beans grew, we started to do shadow boxing in the back end of the garden. So I'd been doing it for a good year or so. And then um, my brother, out of the blue, just started boxing. And that was it then. Once he started boxing within a few months, I was in the gym as well. But it was like we had to keep that secret for ages. And no one, no one, no one, no one has ever known that until just now.
3: Yep. Let me just, sorry, let's go, let's go back a step as well, just to pull Chris up a bit. You know, Chris, when you said, like the rest of us on the gathering, we were all pretty average. Ivan Cobb wasn't, he was an England international. Uh, nah. And, yeah. uh, and, um,
1: and so I'd go but all the way around the circle then. The coach in the corner that night, my first one would be Brian Inkeley. Um And and that was in, well, never about 1981. In nineteen seventy nine I took a full, it was a, i took a full coaching course which was and there was only a full and advance then but because I was too young, I wasn't allowed to take the certificate so I went back in 84 and I'd done my a, uh, level two and that was um uh, Brian and clear done that so yeah. so I like been around the bush with Brian and clear a bit then.
4: what year the was it Ivan? Uh, in eighty Pardon? 84, 84.
1: I'm
6: a level two. That was the year I was born. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was born
1: in '81. It'd be wrong for me to not say you know my father was a uh, like my inspiration type thing in coaching. So it was fantastic and probably years above him, above what he is. You know, in his day he spoke of things that are just happening now. So you know he was sort of like ahead of his time by a long way. But when everyone keeps saying to me, oh, yeah, I mentor a lot, I enjoy mentoring because I learn so much off the people I mentor, you know, or I work with. I don't regard as mentor, I just talk to people, and they talk back. And I learn so much from them. So, you know, most of what I learn comes from people that I just talk to. And, and, uh, and if they take something off me, well, well and good, but I know damn well I take something from them.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Better way to finish it off than that. Guys, so thanks for uh, ringing in the 50th episode. I was going to do a ceremonious end there, then Scott's interrupted. Go on, Scott. (laughs) No, no, no. uh, (laughs) No, go on, mate. Go on, mate.
5: Just uh, circling back to uh, movies don't make me cry, but circling back to boxing, I wanted to maybe end with this anyway. Um, I grew up a massive Mike Tyson fan. I was right through his career, even when it was hard to be his fan. And um, when I listen to his deep, is more recent, deep, like really raw yeah. interviews. He brings tears to my eyes every time. That is absolutely epitomises uh, redemption, the redemption story to me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the, the fight next week, whether you think it's going to be a, a freak show or what. Uh, who have you got for that? Oh, God.
6: That's another campfire in itself, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let's leave that one, because that, that actually could be. That could be another campfire. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll uh, inbox you. Oh, all okay. <laughs> right guys yeah but seriously thanks for, for coming on the 50th episode really appreciate it it's been a great learning journey for me learning from you guys um you know from, from whatever i've been in whether it be uh, england work club work whatever so it's been it's been brilliant so uh, yeah thanks for coming on guys and uh, i really look forward to getting this one out and seeing everyone's feedback so uh, cheers and have a great evening
5: thanks so a lot thank you Good to all catch
0: So it's the next morning now, and just reflecting back on last night's conversation with all the guys, really, really enjoyed it, really fantastic, positive coaches who are are constantly growing, constantly being curious, constantly asking themselves questions, can they do it better? Um, And it just adds to a whole sort of um, recipe of um, great environments, great culture, uh, and and, um, hopefully everyone from the the podcast really kind of heard the the passion there uh, for everyone. So it was great to be involved with. Um, so thanks to all the guys there. And also, um, yeah, keep an eye out on www.theboxgathering.co.uk for all the free resources that we put out in the Coach's Corner. Lots of things to download, like PowerPoints, journals, games, little things like that to help with your coaching. Um, and, of course, there's... Um, the campfires have a look in the campfires as well loads of videos with coaches from across the globe talking boxing talking shop which we all like to do um and uh, and of course we have the the live gatherings next one is anthony crawler on the 24th tuesday night uh, at seven thirty. so uh you know be tuned for that one guys so thanks very much and it's been great celebrating the 50th version of the boxing coaches podcast the 50th episode thanks very much guys everyone have a great weekend cheers out. bye bye
4: If you liked this podcast, similar content and discussions can be found at the Box Gathering. The Box Gathering is a social initiative born out of the ashes of the first lockdown in March 2020. We provide a platform where coaches, boxers, officials and boxing enthusiasts can join together online to discuss various boxing topics. It's free to join and upgrade options offer unlimited access to all our live gatherings, campfire videos and coaching resources. Join today at www.theboxgathering.co.uk